Good morning, church family. Um, today we're reading from Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to start at verse 1 and continue through to Isaiah chapter 62, ending at verse 7. Um, it's found on page 744 in the Bibles on your chairs, and it's also going to be on the screen behind me, so please follow along. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for, of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew and the renewed cities, the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. So you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I am faithful in my faithfulness, I will renew my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. In their, their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people of the Lord, the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hezapipha and your land Belula, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, they will never be silent day or night. 
You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem, and make her the praise of the earth. Well, thanks, Aisha, and good morning again, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Matt, I'm one of the pastors here, and whether it's your first time with us, or we've known each other for many years as brothers and sisters in Christ, or anywhere in between, it's really great to have you with us here today. Uh, We're continuing our series on the book of Isaiah, and after a break for carols next week, we'll conclude uh, the series that we started uh, last year and have been doing in parts uh, before Christmas. Uh, And across all the sermons uh, now preached at uh, both Tonsley and here, uh, it was last week's sermons uh, that, as we looked at Warrior King Jesus, that brought out the most feedback, reflection, discussion, which I found really encouraging as Isaiah challenged the pictures of Jesus that we hold, painting the final portrait of him, being Jesus, as warrior king, who in his great strength not only brings salvation to the ends of the earth, to the far islands of the world, as, as is Isaiah's turn of phrase, but also God's justice to the ends of the earth, exacting God's vengeance on all those who oppose him. Which, you know, if we're honest, is a deeply challenging uh, picture for us uh, on our image of who Jesus is. So whether you're considering Jesus for the first time or have followed him for decades, it is confronting for us all. And we introduced this picture of Warrior King Jesus last week. And if you missed it, all of our sermons are online uh, by about Monday mid-afternoon on our website, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And it's good to be in the habit of keeping up with the series on the bus or in the car. Um, And uh, we've tried to make it super easy and lots of our people obviously out serving in kids ministry and things like that. Uh, Because today we're going to build on the foundation laid last week as we dig a little deeper into Isaiah's portrait of Warrior King. And it'll be totally fine if you missed it to go back and catch up on last week. Uh, The payoff, I think, as uh, for what... We get as we dive deeper into the less, challenge, the less popular, more challenging parts of God's Word, is that it develops before us a deeper, more complex and richer uh, and more beautiful picture of who Jesus is, uh, what He has done, what He will do for us as we place our trust in Him which has that kind of picture form, it kind of speaks to us about our identity as dearly loved children of God, growing and developing in us the godly passions, uh, changing what we love, what we give ourselves to, and the very course of our lives. So with that goal in mind, let's intentionally go deeper into our picture of Jesus together, and it'd be great to have your Bibles open Uh, to the reading from Isaiah 61, which you'll find on page 744 of the Bibles on your seats. Um, The first verse and uh, half of today's uh, reading is one of the most, well, the first few verses, uh, is uh, one of the more famous parts of Isaiah, uh, courtesy of this being one of the very passages Jesus himself used to announce his ministry as it kind of kicked off. So after Jesus had been tested uh, for 40 days in the desert, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, we're told, teaching. And as his fame spread, on the Sabbath, he heads into the synagogue 
takes out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, roll, 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 turns to this exact spot, reads it out as they had been doing uh, for centuries in the Sabbath in the synagogue. And as recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus reads out this part of Isaiah and another little part together, mashes them together, rolls up the scroll, hands it back, takes his seat uh, back again, and we're told everyone in the synagogue's eyes were fixed on him. You could have heard a sandal being unbuckled as Jesus breaks the silence and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, announcing himself to the world as the one who is the fulfillment of Isaiah's words uh, almost 700 years before. Yet if you read Luke chapter 4 and then flick back to Isaiah 61, you'll notice that Jesus stops at a very specific point as he uh, reads out this passage from Isaiah, reading out that by the Spirit God anoints Jesus to do all the many things in verse 1, proclaiming uh, good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, uh, rearranging Isaiah's words a little, but to conclude with line 1 of verse 2 that he has been sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Uh, Jesus is working uh, off the Jewish custom of the Jubilee year where debts were forgiven, slaves were freed with forgiveness, joy and blessing throwing pretty freely throughout all aspects of the life of the people of God. Jesus is saying in a much bigger way, this is the era I'm kicking off today as he quotes from Isaiah 61 in that little Jewish synagogue in Nazareth. It's this image of Jesus and his ministry that we quite rightly love. It sounds great. But notice from Isaiah 61 what Jesus didn't read out on that day. And I'll read it from you now from verse 1 so you get the context. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And, as Isaiah goes on, the day of vengeance of our God. Uh, someone asked on the SMS question line when I was preaching at Tonsley, is this picture of Jesus as warrior king and the outpouring of his wrath, is this something past, is it? present? Is it a future event? I think uh, Jesus' use of Isaiah 61 shows us pretty clearly that he was saying now is the time that is beginning, as his ministry kind of kicks off, that is all about proclaiming good news and it's a time where God's favour can be found. And it's still that time today. Yet I think what Isaiah is telling us is that there will come a day, yet future for us, I think, to still take it, when Jesus will bring both the salvation to those who are waiting upon him, along with the vengeance of our God. And we think, how can those two things go together? (laughs) Yet what does Isaiah tell us will be the outcome of all of this? Verse 2. It is to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them 
a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I think unless you read this passage, it never really occurs to us, like when we read something uh, like Jesus preaching his Sermon on the Mount, that as he proclaims, you know, bringing blessing to those who are poor in spirit, to those who mourn, to those who are persecuted for his name's sake, that one of the ways he brings that blessing is through bringing justice and the vengeance of God upon his enemies. It doesn't really occur to us. Yet it is Isaiah's picture. Now, quite rightly, and I hope in your hearts as well, we're concerned about the concept of vengeance because we only experience it when it's brought about by sinful human beings. Our justice and vengeance is so often disproportionate. It's unjust because we don't have all the information at hand. It's ugly. It comes with mixed motivations. And it forms this endless cycle of retaliation and revenge in our world that we hate. Which is why God strictly forbids vengeance in the Christian life. Only God can bring justice finally, perfectly, fairly, as a conclusion to our world's problems, not as part of them. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 verse 19, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is forgotten, it is mine, it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Yet we still struggle with vengeance being a good thing. And I think it's a big part of that is for most of us, not all of us, for most of us, we haven't suffered from so many of our world's major injustices, which is a great blessing if we haven't. We haven't sort of struggled with the great, you know, sort of um, big injustices uh, of oppression that happen in our world. Uh, Sadly, some of us suffer with some of the more private injustices of things uh, like abuse and and different things like that. And I should say, um, if... uh, Last week at Tonsley, uh, Senior uh, Minister Paul Harrington preached an absolute cracker on marriage and domestic violence. So if that's you, I kind of think it's probably one of the sermons on the topic uh, that I've ever heard. Uh, And I'm not unaware that as I talk about us not suffering some of the world's bigger injustices that some of us in small degree uh, indeed have. It's a great sermon to look up. Head to the Tonsley Podcasts if you want to listen to it. I'd recommend it for everyone, actually. It was that good a sermon. But to sort of step back and think about our world's bigger injustices that we generally don't suffer from, uh, there was a report out earlier in the year from an Australian group uh, that had showed that the number of people in our world entrapped in forced labour, slavery... Uh, has risen by 9 million in the last five years, uh, now up to 28 million uh, across our world. And it rises to about 50 million if you include those entrapped in forced marriages, uh, both of which a person is unable to leave because of threats of violence and coercion. So when you think about injustice in our world, that's kind of one in about every 150 people on the planet and it's going up. If you were trapped in slavery, 
and often it's whole families and communities, and you saw your kids uh, entrapped and brutalised, the idea of someone coming with power to end that situation by bringing salvation to the oppressed, justice and vengeance to the perpetrators, to rid your community of that evil, well, I reckon when you put it that way, most of us find that pretty attractive. Isaiah fills out this picture for us that this is part of warrior King Jesus bringing good news to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the captives. Yet as we explored last week, our world's ills and injustices are not sort of simply out there. We can't draw up just a list of bad guys to eliminate, to leave the rest of the world without issue or sin. Because, you know, the way the world works, we're all entangled in the world's ills, the jealousy, the self-protection, the critical spirit, the selfishness, the misuse of power, the happiness to kind of turn a blind eye to advantage ourselves at someone else's cost. It is in part within us all. And if God were to rid the world of its problems by force alone, well, there wouldn't be a person on the planet left. Our protestations of being good enough are without merit before a holy God who sees our hearts and the full consequences of our actions. Which is why Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, forgiveness that's free to us because the cost was borne for us by Jesus. At a simplistic level, we can be a little casual about what happened on the day that Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world. You know, I've heard people say, well, what's the big deal? Jesus knew he was going to be raised back to life again. Many people in our world die horrible deaths. Yet with a little more reflection on God's words, and Isaiah helps us kind of plumb the depths of that as we have been doing, we know that Jesus had never sinned. That inner sense of shame, that internal battle that we all face and seek to quiet and pretend that isn't there, that kind of doubt that God is for us. Jesus had never experienced any of that on any day of his life. Yet he so identified with and bore the sins of the world on his shoulders that as God's wrath was poured out and the sky went black and the earth shook, he knew for the first time what it meant to be cut off from his heavenly father, facing the full wrath of God. It's a horrific picture. As Isaiah tells us in chapter 53 that we saw a few weeks back, and I'll uh, pop this one up on screen, thanks. Uh, Eliza, it'd be great. From Isaiah 53... Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." As Jesus felt the full power of God's wrath, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Such 
was his distress. Through what was accomplished on the cross, however, Jesus can and still does proclaim this day, now is the time of God's favour. Free forgiveness is on offer, blessing, joy, God's eternal favour. Freedom from spiritual blindness is on offer, freedom from our slavery to sin. Yet God's justice, his vengeance, his perfect, measured, fair justice, alongside his freely given salvation, both, Isaiah tells us, will one day wash across the globe to the far islands of the earth. So all people everywhere have a choice. Will I cling to this idea that I can reject the creator God who gives us all good things and simply ignore him? Will I cling to this idea that I'm one of the good guys, that I could stand before a holy God if he's there and give him a piece of my mind? Or will we accept that a powerful saviour is needed to deflect the right judgment of God away from us by standing in our place. As Jesus did, as he bore God's wrath upon the cross so that he could declare that now is the time of God's favour. With forgiveness from sin, joy, blessing, security, belonging and eternal life freely available to all. When you look at it that way, it's a decision either to let God's justice fall on Jesus' shoulders or to let it remain on ours in a final act of defiance in light of a pretty gracious offer. So if you're checking out who Jesus is today, as a church, we totally get that this raises lots of questions. It it stings our pride, our ego, it exposes our fragility, it kind of unwinds our carefully constructed self-image. Yet let me encourage you, as someone who has led many people through this moment, it is a pain worth going through. Like a person who finally goes to the doctor to address a nagging pain, only to find out the diagnosis is far worse than expected, yet also hears from a great physician that a powerful and a precious remedy is available. Now is the year of the Lord's favour. If that's you, a great next step would be to join us in our life series early in the new year. It's a perfect place to take a deep dive into all of this. Ask any question you like and explore the very precious remedy Jesus offers. Because I think verse 3 of Isaiah 61, if you look at it, acknowledges a reality for us all. In our world at the moment, we all tell each other that happiness should be our default position and we pretend that grief, mourning and despair are an anomaly. Not only do death, disease and our very minds wage war against us, so many in our world suffer it daily as a default. Work takes the best of our energy and time. Relationships, even with people that you love and committed to, can be hard work. Now you can either try and wash it all away with our narcotic amusements, consumerism, the next endorphin-invoking experience, yet find them only temporarily a relief as you sink deeper, or you can go deep with God 
growing in trust with the promises of him as our most wonderful saviour. Verses 4 to 7 of Isaiah 61 would have spoken powerfully to Isaiah's first hearers, a, a nation in exile, oppressed, longing for a blessing. They speak to us as a people longing for the promise of everlasting joy, as verse 7 concludes. But read with me from verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Now, prophecy in the Bible always speaks to the audience of the day. Often it speaks to something very uh, clearly about Jesus, as we've already shown from Isaiah uh, 61. But it also has that kind of now and not yet kind of waiting for its complete fulfillment edge to it as well. So there's always something for us in the present. I think of this part of uh, Isaiah, I'd say God has and continues to deliver on this promise of people from all nations coming into this one, what we now know as the worldwide church today. And I think despite organised religion being on the nose amongst our world's influencers, movie stars and media commentators, uh, the research still shows if people know a grace-driven, gospel-hearted, humble Christian who has the confidence not to fear what our world fears... There is often an unspoken respect and attraction to that person who rejoices in, who praises God, who applies God's very practical wisdom and who shows grace in relationships when we're under fire. As Jesus builds his church today, God is delivering on Isaiah's promise of verse 11. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, And as the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. As the people of God made right by our Saviour, we're growing into that righteousness and developing lives of praise before our world. It's actually a wonderful thing to sit at the front today and just see the amount of joy coming from the mat today as uh, Jamie introduced his new carol uh, written for our carol service next week and just to see that very childlike kind of heart that just longs to praise God and to celebrate. It's a beautiful thing. And I think part of why Jesus often uses kids to illustrate spiritual truths that we need to grow into We are living as a people who to display to the world that there is a solution to our world's despair, mourning and grief. And that thanks to our Saviour King and our Warrior King Jesus, a time is coming that these such ills will plague us no more. Instead of covering over our issues... Uh, and the pain with the band-aid of consumerism and some of our more narcotic amusements, we can be a people who go deep with God instead. And as we look at Isaiah 62 briefly, it begins uh, with one who would not keep silent or remain quiet 
until this promised salvation comes. Uh, I take it that this is godly, God's king, suffering and warrior servant speaking at this point, Jesus, whose word will continue to go out across the world without letting up for a moment until the salvation comes. A beautiful image is built of not only what this will look like, but what it will feel like as God comes and rejoices over his people. Yet verses 6 and 7 of chapter 62 show us that for now, we have a job to do. Read with me from verse 6, as God instructs his people in Isaiah's day and in our day as God's church. As God says through his prophet, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be uh, be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. God's people are awaiting people. People not waiting for something, but for someone. With watchmen posted, who like God's servant, will never be silent. Proclaiming God's word and speaking of the day when God's salvation and judgment will wash across the world. There's an image there of the people of God giving him no rest as we call upon him. A great rallying cry to be a people petitioning God through our prayers for the grace of his salvation, this offer of God's favour to ring out as we proclaim together during this time that the Lord's favour can be found. It's quite a turn of phrase really from Isaiah that we are to never rest from calling on the Lord and giving him no rest due to the constancy of our prayers. It is in this context that we're now ready to hear that one day, on the horizon, figuratively speaking, one man alone will appear, and the watchman will cry out. We read of him in this challenging picture in Isaiah 63, but I I think we're ready to hear it right now, And I'll put the first four verses up on screen. Thanks, Eliza. It'd be great. Isaiah 63. Who is this coming from Edom, from Bosra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this, robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those ones of treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. On that day... The three portraits of Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus will be drawn together as one as Jesus comes as royal king coming to rule, as servant king who has suffered a great trial on behalf of his people so that free forgiveness can be offered to all. And all across the globe who have called on him, who long for justice, who long for oppression and abuse to cease and for despair to be washed away, 
warrior king Jesus comes proclaiming victory over all forms of evil. Every stubborn and rebellious heart, every injustice woven into the fabric of this world removed in his wrath. Bringing gladness, comfort, beauty, joy and praise in their place permanently for all who come to him. It's this deeper, more complex, more beautiful picture of Jesus that develops in us as one of Jesus' kind of local collections of his one worldwide church. I think it develops in us a deeper, more complex, more beautiful church, which is why we seek to preach from all corners of the Bible. What does that look like? Well, let me give you kind of three brief ways Isaiah calls us to be that deeper, more complex, more beautiful church. In our relationship up, if you want to think about it uh, in this way, up, in, out. In our relationship up as we relate to God, it calls us to be unceasing, to give the Lord no rest as we call on him for his salvation to go out to offer ourselves and ask for God's enablement to share the great news of Jesus. It would be a good week for us to reflect on the questions that we asked in the mission uh, survey today. How much of our time are we praying and thinking intentionally about how we do this? If, like many of you, like me, it's a, it's a, a prompt and a reminder, do that knowing that it's a great season to actually sort of think, I'll just pray now, walk over to three neighbours' houses and invite them along to carols. It's always good to have a, have a concrete action to flow out of the ways God prompts us. And ask for God's enablement to do that because the suffering servant, Jesus, who went to the cross for the sins of the world, is proclaiming now is the time of the Lord's favour. And... Um, I've seen it in practice and I'm reminded afresh that we should give ourselves no rest, to give God no rest, in asking for his help in doing this. In our relationships together in, uh, I really would like, as you've heard, which is one of the, the five points we covered at our where to next uh, dinners, uh, is to kind of turn up the heat bit by bit over the coming years in the pursuit of both right and wise living, being well fed by the wisdom of God, by his spirit. Firstly, because it's good and right and actually brings blessing to us, but also for the testimony that wise, godly living proclaims to our world as we share the gospel. Um, I'd love over the next 10 years to develop among us via a variety of ways... Uh, more groups of people in a culture that's really kind of committed to this task of discipling one another across the ages. And I've spoken about that uh, at the dinners and it's on the video there if you missed it, so I won't repeat it here. But um, yeah, there's, uh, there's just lots of ways to kind of continue to grow that are sort of achievable bit by bit things that we can do together. So for next year, in regards to our mission, I'll be sending out some invites to some people who might want to join our missional calling team just to be able to follow people up who invite people along, help people think through uh, next steps and to know uh, what's coming uh, up.
But I'd love all of that to come from our foundation from Isaiah today of unceasing prayer about this. And as we look out, so up, prayer, uh, in to one another, as we look out to our world, um, I think our particular challenge as a church at the moment is to avoid the contentment and patterns of behaviour that limit us in the effects of our mission. Uh, Sadly, the average church in Australia uh, is 75 and shrinking. And statistically, only a very small number of churches in our country and in the Trinity Network ever grow beyond 150 and sustain it, which um, coincidentally is the exact size uh, of this church at the moment. 150 on a Sunday is our average. And same at Tonsley, same at Unley at the moment. Uh, For those of you who have been around here for a while, uh, our peak a few years ago before we planted a few churches was about 350 uh, on a Sunday. And so I and many people around here can tell you with some experience that if we want to reach more people with the good news of Jesus, we do have to let go of us being a small, intimate community that knows uh, one another and kind of acts in ways that kind of keep that lid uh, on our size. So I want to say clearly as we try and reach more people with the gospel, that as we do that here and at Tonsley and at Unley and lots of other churches around Australia do it, we do, um, if we're going to be effective in our mission together, we do need to have a mindset of having a deeper circle of good relationships with a few and then serve the whole in teams together. It was a real joy, actually, to go to our end-of-year growth group uh, barbecue on uh, Thursday night for our growth group. And what a wonderful group of people at different ages and stages of life uh, coming together and being able to share in that depth. Because as we seek to reach more people and to seek to continue to grow again and let go of this idea of us being a small, intimate community where everyone can know each other, we do want to look after each other and keep each other on the road. And certainly being part of a smaller group and serving in teams together are a key part of that. I think the only thing that will get us to do that is actually to intentionally kind of look out to our world and feel the depths uh, of pain of the hundreds of thousands of people who live within a 10-minute drive of here who do not know of the Lord's salvation freely offered and the wrath of the coming warrior king against every form of evil and rebellion. So I think to see this deeper, more complex, more beautiful church continue to develop under under God's hand, we do need to continue to count the cost. We cannot have all that this world offers us and this. We will have to say no to things that we love and to continue to say no to sin's enticements together so that, bit by bit, this beautiful picture of Isaiah, that this righteousness and praise continues to spring up before a watching world that does look on and consider, do those people over there really have the solution? Our final week in Isaiah comes after carols, but for now, I think I'll close in prayer. 
Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you for these uh, challenging words uh, that come to us in this last section of Isaiah. Please help us to reflect on this deeply, uh, wherever we are with you. Um, uh, it's certainly an opportunity where fears and misunderstandings uh, can creep in. Uh, please help us to look after each other and to actually chat about the things that are going on in our hearts after church throughout the week and with uh, people that we know. Uh, we long, uh, Lord, not to be a superficial church, but one that uh, continues to grow deeper into your word, into your character, that uh, continues to grow in our passion uh, to see uh, that this great news that your favour can be found is on offer in our world today. And please help us to actually feel the weight of uh, that sobering call that uh, this offer will not go out forever and that our time here is precious and how we use our time, uh, our time in response to whatever you revealed to us actually says something very deep about our hearts and how much uh, we trust you. Please help us um, to do this in a spirit of grace, to be kind to ourselves and to our own hearts and to one another and to be the kind of the church that hears messages like this and from a position of having absolute freedom uh, in Christ because of what he has done for us. Just seek to spur one another on uh, with encouragement, with challenge, uh, with uh, love and with grace. And in weeks like next week, Lord, please help us to be on our welcoming best, to be our proactive, invite our neighbours along best and that... You know, as the kids sing with great joy about this first Christmas party, uh, that people's hearts may be moved as we pray the whole service and the carols and your word all come together in a way that just beautifully proclaims that now is the time of your favour uh, and that there is a solution to our world's problems uh, that has come and is coming in our Lord and Saviour, our, our rightful King, our suffering servant King, and our warrior king with the strength to bring about the end of your plans. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.